Thank you for joining me for episode two of Idaho Public Land Summit, conversations advocating for the protection and preservation of public lands in Idaho and in the West. I'm Mary Mangold, your host, and today my guest is Jonathan Oppenheimer, Senior Conservation Associate with the Idaho Conservation League. At the end of its 2013 session, the Idaho Legislature passed HCR 21 and 22, which deal with the disposal of federal public land to the state of Idaho. I would like to explore where you and ICL stand on the movement that resulted in these controversial and somewhat radical resolutions. In the area uh, and in Idaho knows, uh, Idaho's national forests and, and public lands are a real treasure that belong to all Idahoans and all Americans. Uh, and the Idaho Conservation League, along with uh, thousands of other Idahoans throughout the state, are, are concerned that the legislature has, has approved these radical proposals that really threaten to uh, make a grab for and sell off some of Idaho's most treasured landscapes, from the from the Hell's Canyon to the Sawtooth and the Clearwater Basin, uh, the mountains and the Selkirks and the and the cabinets, um, the Frank Church and the Selway Bitterroot Wilderness areas. I think resoundingly over the course of the last decades, Idahoans have time and time again said Idaho should not be for sale, and and we really truly feel that these lands should not be for sale. Um, we had some specific concerns about the um, about the proposals that were considered and, and approved this year, uh, including one, uh, the fact that uh, it's it runs counter to the Idaho Constitution and the Admissions Act of Idaho, which said very clearly that the state of Idaho shall not be entitled to any further grants of land. Um, so, you know, that was one concern. Another is, um, you know, really that we see these as um, – as, as going over ground that has been plowed before, back in the 1980s, uh, and again back in the 1940s, there were proposals to dispose of public lands uh, throughout the West. Uh, the Sage Rush Rebellion was a popular effort mm -hmm. back in the late 70s and early 80s, uh, and there was basically an identical effort in Idaho funded by the, the taxpayers of Idaho to evaluate whether or not and how likely it was to get the federal government to divest itself of the public lands that they manage in Idaho. And, and um, basically what the legislature and the attorney general at that time came up with was uh, that this really was not a realistic proposal. It was it was counter to the Idaho Constitution as well as the federal Constitution uh, and that, that other states that had tried to uh, advance this and force this through the courts, in particular Nevada, uh, had basically been uh, had been repelled. It, it, it has been uh, you know ruled not to be a, a legal um, approach uh, in state courts, in federal courts, as well as uh, in appellate courts, and all the way up to the Supreme Court over the last uh, several decades. And so uh, we really see it as a, as a waste of time, a waste of money. And, and frankly, we're making a lot of progress throughout the state uh, as a partner and collaborative efforts, working with the timber industry, working with motorized interests as well as non-motorized interests, working with tribes and fish and game and local communities. We really are uh, advancing a lot of, I think, what the core interests um, are that we're trying to find areas where Idahoans can come together to find some common ground with regards to issues around natural resource management and public lands. Uh, and we really see this effort to, to undermine um, 
to undermine those efforts uh, and, and really to, to be a waste of time and, and something that, again, is, is contrary to our state's constitution. Jonathan, one of the concerns that seems to surface over and over among people I talk to is the apparent lack of sensitivity and good stewardship by the Idaho Department of Lands on uh, numerous examples right here in our backyard of Idaho County. You look at service flats and Dumec and Joseph Plains and the timber harvests that have occurred there, and it uh, is a scary prospect to see such a destructive uh, harvest. Can you address those concerns for us? Basically bringing forestry into the 21st century, and I think that there are a lot of good examples uh, from around the state and around the region where we can uh, remove timber volume from our forests, where we can uh, still maintain a lot of the key um, attributes, the key resources like clean water and healthy fisheries and healthy wildlife habitat. Uh, and, and also, uh, you know, leaving sufficient, uh, you know, trees and, and down wood out in the forest uh, so that it continues to function properly. Uh, you know, I think that's one of the key, uh, you know, underpinnings of the of the uh, the Clearwater Basin Collaborative, as well as uh, numerous other collaboratives, a half dozen at least or so, uh, around the state that the Idaho Conservation League is engaged in. And so, you know, I think that that is certainly part of it. Now, stewardship contracting is just is is effectively just a, a, a tool to actually implement the projects on the ground. So, I mean, whether it's a traditional timber sale contract or a stewardship contract, um, the end result on the ground should be one that is um, taking into consideration impacts like uh, fish and wildlife habitat and recreation, um, both motorized as well as non-motorized, as well as uh, the long-term uh, uh, protection of soils. And so, that that's certainly something that is is at the core uh, a core interest of the Idaho Conservation League is is ensuring that um, our actions and our management uh, of our forests and our public lands is done in such a way that that we make sure that those lands remain productive and remain accessible for uh, our children and grandchildren. And so that's that's certainly a, a, a key aspect of of our work. Jonathan, given that the current land management activity on state endowment trust land is not intended to benefit the general public, but is a single-use approach whereby they're called upon to maximize revenues. Uh, do you think the state of Idaho has the capacity to properly manage vast amounts of land if their current approach is simply a single-use approach? Um, yeah, you know the the Idaho Department of Lands is is um, is tasked with managing Idaho's endowment lands, and and that's something uh, in the Constitution. There is language that says that the um, that the lands that were granted from the federal government to the state at the time of statehood were to be managed to effectively maximize. Um, Net returns to the uh, to the state for the purpose of supporting education and, and public buildings, um, and so really the the state has a constitutional mandate to maximize revenue, and and while they need to at some level, um, or while they can take into account fish and wildlife or habitat concerns or or uh, you know long term soil productivity, really the emphasis is on maximizing returns. Um, 
to the endowment and to the beneficiary. So, uh, you know, it, it is certainly a, a concern um, that really that that there's a need to to revisit that and see whether or not there's uh, you know even a, an opportunity to to revise that to bring um, their management into into line with I think what the the values of Idahoans are, which is to you know basically ensure that that um, you know that there is a balanced approach to the management of of, of state lands. And so I think it's um, it, it would be, a, you know, that is certainly one of the concerns that if all the lands um, in the state that are currently public lands, we're talking somewhere in the neighborhood of about 35 million acres, if those were to be, uh, if the title was turned over to the state, one of the big questions we would have is, you know, are, are those now considered endowment lands and then are those uh, – Basically, to be managed under a um, an approach that would require the maximization of of revenue um, to the state uh, coffers, and so that would be uh, certainly one of the one of the questions that I think we're going to be looking to to have answered here as as part of this process. And 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 just to step back a little bit, the process that is established as part of HC20 HCR House Concurrent Resolution 21 and 22 is basically a two-year-long study committee, an interim uh, legislative committee that, that will take a look at some of these issues um, and uh, look at the practicality and the and and putting this into practice. You know how how can the state of Idaho go about um, uh, demanding effectively demanding title to uh, our public lands. Uh, what is the the process that will be used to do that? Uh, what are some of the next steps that would need to be taken? Uh, is this in uh, is this does this contradict the state constitution and the federal constitution? What are some of the legal impediments to this? And and frankly, one of the things that we're uh, really interested in is is this even a um, you know, was this based on accurate information? Because one of the things that we uh, identified as part of this is that is that basically some of the uh, key underpinning elements of the resolution that was passed by the Idaho legislature is I, I don't know how to put this kindly, but making things up. Um, there is there was language included in the resolution um, that basically inserted words that were never spoken by the Continental Congress in 1780 so and put it in quotes <laughs> and and basically claimed that this was a resolution of the Continental Congress when in fact that's not what it said and and that was actually one of the reasons why um some of the the leaders in the Senate um you know raised some concerns that hey this is this is basically misconstruing and and revising uh our our history books uh, in a way that supports uh, the current ideology, and so um, you know that's that's inappropriate and, and something that we're going to be certainly pointing out before the study committee is that uh, you know if we're basing this all on um, on make believe, um, then it, it, it's even more of a waste of time. And so, um, but but anyways, at, at the at the end of the day, I think um, you know what the legislature will find out is that you know while we may have uh, different visions for how our public lands are managed and while there is a requirement for multiple use and while uh, both motorized and non-motorized and conservation and utilization approaches, you know, 
often are, are uh, at odds or competing, that, that there's a lot of room in the middle um, to find common ground. But at the end of the day, Idahoans truly value um, their public lands, the access that they provide, and, and don't want to see them turned over uh, to the state for um, effectively a single-purpose uh, management. Jonathan, most of us are aware of the struggles and the challenges and the paralysis of timber contracts on national forest land. But ever since last October 2012, when I noted in the paper that Ken Ivory of American Lands Council was the keynote speaker at the Idaho Farm Bureau's annual meeting, I've thought that uh, the idea to limit or eliminate federal government in our lives in Idaho might allow this idea idea of the land disposal to take to gain traction. Uh, where do you think the people of Idaho stand on that? There are frustrations out there with public land management and how you know how the, sure. the Forest Service manages land, how the BLM manages land, and, and similarly how the Idaho Department of Lands, even though they don't consider their lands that they manage to be public, which I think is an important um, uh, discrepancy. Um, that that you know that that there are concerns from from all various sides, and so the question is, I think, you know, how to best resolve this. And I guess I see the approach of um, demanding that the um, that the federal government immediately, you know, divest itself of all of its holdings uh, within the state of Idaho, all 35 million acres. That that you know, that's a that's a, a pretty good way to to get headlines. Uh, it's a it's a good way to make a splash. It's a good way to um, draw some attention to the issue. You know, it makes makes for good billboards and campaign slogans. But really, I think that more Idahoans, and I'm very confident of this, and I've got some polling numbers to back it up, and I'll discuss those in a moment. I think that more okay. Idahoans are are really keenly interested in seeing appropriate levels of management in our public lands. They're interested in seeing jobs created. They're interested in seeing some of our most special landscapes protected for future generations. They're interested in seeing healthy and huntable and fishable populations of fish and wildlife. And so I guess from my perspective, when it gets down to it, we are much better served by our leaders who are interested in rolling up their sleeves, sitting down at the table, and trying to work out some, some balanced solutions uh, that will provide for uh, the people of Idaho, that will create some jobs, that will generate some timber, that will provide appropriate levels of access, both motorized and non-motorized, that will provide some protection, um, you know, for some of the, the most special places and that, that really moves us forward. And I think that's, that's I think, what I'm most um, upset or, um, you know, disconcerted about is the fact that, you know, we are now – at the Idaho Conservation League and around the state, we're now going to be spending time over the next two years fighting this uh, this radical, tired argument that that the the federal government somehow made a commitment to dispose of all their lands when in fact they really did not, and that and that that discretion lies with the United States Congress, and that um, and that this is really a distraction, and that what we are more interested in is sitting down with the users and with the rural communities to find some solutions that actually make sense. So I think that's that's really where the divide is 
um, is that some some people would rather, you know, kind of play politics with this, whereas others, I think, are, are really truly interested in finding some long-term solutions that, that work for the communities of Idaho. Certainly the state of Idaho promotes tourism, and it seems a huge number of jobs and revenues generated through tourism in Idaho are a direct result of the rugged beauty of our national forest land. Would the quality and multi-use aspects of tourism be sustainable if managed by the state? I think that it's indisputable that um, that the, the the dollars that are brought into Idaho because of the magnificent public lands that we have, because of the Salmon River, because of the Hell's Canyon, because of the Sawtooth National Recreation Area, as well as some of our uh, more undeveloped areas, you know, driving up the Loxa, up the Selway, mm-hmm. um, you know, some of those areas are are true, you know, areas of, of national and international significance. I mean, those are, you know, what what we take for granted in Idaho as our backyard is something that uh, uh, entire nations, um, you know, would would basically drool over having, uh, you know, a a, um, a resource like we do in Idaho. And so I think it's, it, you know, it, it is a an, a relatively untapped resource. Well now, now, obviously, there is there are. Um, you know, a lot of Idahoans, myself included, that, you know, we don't want to see our, our back country and our public lands turn into a Disneyland. I mean, we don't want to see, no. uh, you know, paved trails. I mean, there's, there is, uh, you know, a certain rugged, you know, beauty and, and difficulty in, in accessing some of these areas that's, that's part of the challenge. That's part of the draw. Um, and, and, and that's kind of self-limiting. You know, we're not, we're never going to have, you know, uh, you know, people lined up shoulder to shoulder, you know, fly fishing, you know, all the way up the Selway. Um, and it, and it yeah. should be. I mean, it's part of that, that solitude that people seek. But at the same time, I think that it is, uh, you know, it, it generates a significant amount of, of, uh, of income and revenue for our state and for our rural communities and, and the rural economies around the state that is, uh, I think, something that, that Idaho has, has not quite um, recognized and not quite gotten to a point of, of fully capitalizing on. And, and I think that that's something that uh, hopefully some of these collaborative efforts by, uh, you know, working to bring in some additional resources so that we can make sure that, that campgrounds are, are maintained, that they're in the right places, that uh, they're adequately managed, uh, those kinds of things, as well as in some places that we look at whether it's national monuments or or parks or wilderness areas that those help to put some of these areas on the map and so that they can uh, be a little bit more of an anchor and more of a draw uh, for Idahoans and and uh, folks from around the world who uh, and around the country who are you know looking to plan their summer vacation um, and uh, and know you know basically where to go in some some spots and know where to find uh, some of those experiences that they're looking for and so uh, you know I think that it, there's certainly a, a huge opportunity out there for the state of Idaho and for rural communities to to uh, to identify uh, some of these opportunities and to take advantage of them. Jonathan, since the core purpose of Idaho Public Land Summit is to generate positive advocacy and awareness about the values of public land for all citizens and future generations, would you share information about some of the programs and efforts that are working to help break up the log jam on federal land timber contracts where Idaho communities are already benefiting from healthy collaborative efforts? The, the Clearwater Basin Collaborative is a is an effort that is made up of about 21 or 22 uh, members um, from around the Clearwater mm-hmm. Basin and around the state. Um, 
that are working just on the, the 6 million acres within the basin. So that takes in uh, private land and state land and, and, uh, and, and federally managed public lands as well. Um, it takes mm-hmm. in most of the Nez Perce and the Clearwater National Forest. And, and basically we are, um, you know, working together um, with the timber industry, um, with both Clearwater and Idaho counties, with Idaho Fish and Game, uh, with other conservation interests, with rural economic um, interests, uh, as well as a couple of at-large members that represent some communities and some other user groups. Um, the uh, the motorized interests have a couple seats at the table. Um, and, and basically, you know, trying to work through some of these issues. And there's, I think, a recognition that, hey, we're not going to be able to agree on everything. Um, but there are areas where – I think that there are huge opportunities to uh, find some common ground, to look at um, some wilderness designation in the area. That's, that's certainly been a long-held interest of, of the Idaho Conservation League and several of the other conservation groups mm-hmm. around the table, uh, as well as look at an increased level of, of, uh, of harvest and timber harvest and land management. And so I think that, um, you know, working together, you know, there are going to be issues uh, the Megalodes was one, and the Loxa Land Exchange was another, uh, and the travel yeah. plan were three that we identified early and said, you know, hey, there are, you know, very deeply held, you know, beliefs and, and positions with regards to some of these issues. And, and as this collaborative is just getting going, we've been going for about five years now, but early on we made that mm-hmm. decision that there are going to be some issues that we cannot agree on uh, or that is going to, you know, really pull at the threads of the collaborative, and, and so early on we said, hey, with those three issues, we're going to take a pass as a collaborative. We're not going to try to find uh, oh. a common ground position, and we're going to kind of, you know, let each group work on those issues uh, and, uh, and you know, respect that there are going to be varying positions on that. And so uh, so I think oh. that that is something that helped. Now, certainly this, this – um, this land takeover and, and the, the land sale proposal that the legislature is, is proposing here, uh, you know, it, it's one that I think certainly does pull at the threads of the collaborative. And so, uh, you know, where exactly mm-hmm. that ends up, I think, is a good question. You know, of course, we're we're really only studying the issue here for two years, and it wouldn't even be until the session of, of January of 2015 that the legislature actually takes up some of these issues Um We'll see whether or not in the intervening years, uh, whether or not Utah may uh, bring a, uh, a complaint in the federal courts and where exactly Idaho falls out there. But, you know, this is this is a long process. I mean, it was, you know, the, the resolution um, uh, that was passed in the legislature, uh, you know, refers back to 1780. And there were, you know, efforts in the 40s. Um, actually, all the way in the 1920s, President Hoover at that time offered the states uh, the public lands, the unappropriated public lands, uh, and the states mm-hmm. said no, they didn't want them. Um, and uh, and then in the 40s, there were proposals, and uh, Bernard DeVoto uh, was a strong advocate for for basically uh, retaining public ownership of our public lands. And then again in the 70s, and so it's it's almost like a cyclic thing, like it, it comes around. Um, yes. You know, every few decades, uh, as some kind of new and novel idea with some, you know, novel approaches to, to how to actually realize this. And so, uh, I think largely it's a distraction of the collaboratives in the, in the Clearwater in particular, one that, that has, uh, you know, resulted in, uh, you know, specifically in the, in the, uh, Middle Fork Clearwater, Lower Selway, 
project, um, you know, over 127 new jobs that have been created or sustained uh, in some of those rural mm. communities. Um, and, you know, uh, so far they've, uh, I, I want to say 11 million board feet is um, is under contract and has been sold with no appeals and no litigation, uh, and there is uh, more to come. What are some of those other projects that are on the table? Okay, so uh, you know, one of the things that I wanted to mention was the uh, the Clear Creek project, which is a uh, environmental impact statement um, project that the Forest Service is proposing. Uh, it takes in about 44,000 acres uh, up above the town of Kuski and kind of south of, of Lowell and Syringa up there, uh, and and would. Um, would basically look to restore fire regimes and um, do some thinning in that area, uh, as well as uh, pull out some old roads that we don't need uh, that are impacting water quality, uh, and it would log up to 60 million board feet. So it's it's really, uh, I think, a representative of a, of a new approach, taking in a, a whole landscape-level uh, approach to uh, the management of our national forests that obviously has a, a significant economic component and would have an uh, uh, economic effect um, on those uh, on those communities and uh, and it's I think an example of of uh, you know again rolling up our sleeves and, and working to find some common ground and is is part of an overall package that we're working on uh, as a member of the Clearwater Basin Collaborative to to uh, to provide some protection for some of the most special places that that Idaho has. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, up in the Clearwater, and uh, and that also recognizes that hey, these are areas where we want there to be sustainable and robust and healthy communities um, that are around to to enjoy and to manage the lands. And so, um, so I think that's a it's a good example of a of a new approach um, that we're certainly excited about at the Idaho Conservation League. And 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 uh, you know, a, another part of that is is um, you know, I think looking at the um, the balance and the need for uh, new wilderness uh, in in Idaho. And right sure. now, north of Highway 12, there's not a single acre of, of designated wilderness in the state of Idaho, even though, uh, you mm. know, those are some of the uh, most amazing and, and most pristine lands and ones that are, uh, by and large, already, um, you know, reserved from active management and, and logging and road building as a result of the Idaho Roses sure. Rule. Uh, that was put in place back in 2008. Uh, you know, lands in the in the North Fork of the Clearwater, Kelly Creek and Cayuse Creek. Uh, you know, moving north, some of the lands up along the Idaho-Montana border and Scotchman Peaks um, further north. Uh, the Mallard Larkins just in, in kind of the divide between the St. Joe and the North Fork Clearwater and then all the way up north in the Selkirks and the Cabinets. You know, there's a lot of a lot of Idaho's mo most outstanding country and some of the most uh, majestic um, mountain ranges and, and mountains that will simply take your breath away are, are uh, largely unprotected now and something that we would like to see change as part of our efforts. So that's certainly a part of uh, a part of the interest there is to try to correct that imbalance and provide some protection for these areas that really I think by and large most people recognize that, that their highest and best use is in conservation and it and it is going to uh, help things out. I mean one of the one of the reasons why the Clearwater has been a battleground for decades is because of this 
tremendous backcountry resource that that, uh, that exists there. And so uh, hopefully, you know, working together with the, the local communities, working together with the timber industry and and uh, a variety of interest groups uh, and the state as well, you know, trying to find some common ground so that uh, so that we can all support each other to move this forward. And I think the, you know, one thing that, um, you know, one description of the collaborative uh, that I think uh, really rings true in my mind is that we know that we're successful or we will know that we are successful when we are advocating for others' interests more so than our own and that that is reciprocated by the other uh, members around the table, that they are working to help us meet our interests uh, while we're simultaneously working to help meet theirs. We're only, you know, only just starting to see kind of the tip of the iceberg here. I think there's tremendous potential here, and that's, you know, one of the reasons why I've been, uh, you know, disappointed that this public lands takeover and, and the threat of selling off these lands has really dominated a lot of discussion for the last several months because there is, I think, truly a lot of um, positive developments and, and um and progress that we're making as part of these collaboratives that I think is uh, is really a, a threat here uh, by these uh, by these proposals to to take over all the land. Jonathan, as you mentioned earlier, there are a lot of headlines and even dog and pony shows that are making a splash in the news regarding the uh, movement to dispose of federal land to the state. What do you suggest for ordinary citizens to make sure that they're getting the facts and to keep in touch with the important collaborative efforts that you're telling us about today? Well, I mean, first of all, you know, I would say that the, the Clearwater Basin Collaborative, uh, which is uh, information is available at clearwaterbasincollaborative.org. Uh, is a great uh, is a great avenue to uh, to learn a little bit about the issues that we're working on. All the meetings are open to the public. All the meetings have opportunity for public input and public comment. Um, you know, we're working on you know specific projects at the you know at the stands level scale, uh, as well as landscape level, as well as forest wide level. So uh, you know, there's a lot of um, you know kind of interlocking you know layers of of um, of analysis and consideration, and so uh, the the Clearwater Basin Collaborative, I think, is a is a good way to do that and to to uh, start to get engaged in some of these efforts. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, we have information at the Idaho Conservation League, which is IdahoConservation.org, about ways to get engaged. And I think, you know, at the at the end of the day, I think, um, you know, it's you know, there's there's a responsibility for folks to uh, you know to pay attention to how their public lands are being managed. Uh, these are uh, lands that belong to all of us, uh, and the the Forest Service and the BLM are required to take into consideration public input and uh, public involvement. Something again to contrast that with state management, where the state is really not. Um, there are no uh, you know processes or, or avenues really that exist for the public to be engaged with um, with state management. So I think that's important to point out. Uh, Jonathan, you had mentioned some polling numbers earlier. Can you share those? There was a, a public opinion poll that was conducted by a Republican polling firm. It's the same firm that uh, Governor Otter and, and Senator Crapo and others uh, use. Um, a poll okay. conducted last fall um, that found. Uh, I'm just going to read some of the some of the key points here. Um, this was in in Idaho um, and is a, a statistically valid poll. One, our public lands 
including forests, national parks, monuments, and wildlife areas, are an essential part of Idaho's quality of life. There were 97% of Idahoans that agreed with that statement. Um, uh, one of the things our federal government does well is protect and preserve our national heritage through the management of forests, national parks, and other public lands. Idahoans agreed uh, 73% with that statement. Um, and, uh, and when you think about um, – uh, let's see, where's another good one here? Um, how satisfied are you with the quality and quantity of outdoor recreational opportunities in Idaho? 87% of Idahoans answered that they were uh, satisfied with the management of, um, of our, our public lands in the state and our forests. Uh, and, and this was, uh, you know, was reflective of, of Idaho's uh, uh, political situation and political dynamic uh, in that, uh, you know, it was about uh, 40%, 46%. Um, uh, conservative, and so it's it's. Uh, I think it just illustrates, um, you know, how out of touch the legislature is uh, with regards to the values uh, and beliefs of of everyday Idahoans, and that you know one of the things that Idahoans value, um, uh, you know, one of the key things that they value is is our access to public lands and our ability to be able to go out on a weekend and to, uh, you know, whether it's to see wildlife or fish and hunt uh, or just to recreate and get away from it all, that, that uh, our public forests are one of truly one of the, the great assets that we have in the state, and, and we want to see those public lands remain in public hands. Yes, and those poll numbers are significant to tell that story, and I appreciate your mentioning those. Yep. Yep. Thank you very much, Jonathan. All right. Take care and, and let me know if I can be of any uh, help in the future. Thank you for listening. This concludes Episode 2 of Idaho Public Land Summit. Support for this broadcast is made by WildWebWest.com. For more information and links, be sure to visit our website at IdahoPublicLandSummit.com.